your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, you. pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Fighting words in French. What's up? This is EJ Stewart, joined by Tommy Beer. This is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey WFAN original. We got a lot to get to on this episode. Evan Fournier speaks out about his time on the Knicks last season. He's very unhappy. He talked about some of the frustrations he dealt with, not just with uh, just the situation of not playing very much, being taken out of rotation, but also his relationship with Tom Thibodeau. We'll give you his thoughts on that and what he's, he's expecting for this upcoming year. Also, you probably saw the story of QJ Peterson. He's a G League, uh, well, he was a summer league player for the Knicks that uh, that that kind of made ways with his story, essentially, of what it was like to be uh, a summer league player for the New York Knicks. It was a very fascinating tale. So I want to talk a little bit about that, talk a little bit about the end, the end of the summer league, the Knicks finishing two and three, losing their final game, a close game to the Nuggets. And finally, uh, I feel like we're back in 2020 all over again because we're once again talking to 2021, I guess, because we're talking about this uh, Trey Young Knicks fandom situation. And Draymond Green, of all people, decided to insert his opinion on Knicks fans and everything that goes with it. So we'll have a friendly chat about that later on the show. Tom, Tommy Beer again joins me as always. And this is the Orange of Blue Bloods. We'll have more on that in just a second. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So once again, Tommy Beer joins me as always. And Tommy, I'd be remiss not to also uh, uh, mention, I'm sure you probably saw, as most people did, uh, Joel and B talking about, uh, you know, I may want to win a championship here in Philly or elsewhere. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts on, on that before we get started on uh, on, uh, on this uh, beautiful day here? Yeah, maybe we can, you know, discuss a little bit more in depth later in the week in the, on the pod. But um, I think it's interesting. You know, I, I think it's something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Um, obviously these, these kind of offhand comments, I think were relatively innocuous. Um, you could see that it's not difficult to foresee a scenario in which Embiid gets a little more vocal, a little more spicy. Um, he's a, uh, kind of a flamboyant entertainer by nature. Um, so I'm sure he doesn't like to be quiet and sit on his hands. Um, and if, you know, we have this situation with, with uh, the Sixers and the standoff between Harden and Dow Morey and, and the organization plays out. But there is a a scenario in which things get a little ugly in the city of brotherly love. Um, and Embiid at some point could ask to get moved. And the reason Knicks fans are so interested in that potential, that potential scenario is if that situation comes to pass, the Knicks will be the head odds on favorites. Um, for uh, to land and beat, you know, given the relationship between Leon Rose, um, number one, and number two, the Knicks have arguably the best combination of assets, draft capital, future draft, first-round draft picks, and young players on rookie-scale contracts and good players, veterans. You know, you add all those factors in, kind of the four pillars of the superstar trade, and the Knicks have all of it um, and are basically waiting to kind of consolidate all those assets into one deal, one player. Um, There's a lot of reasons to believe Embiid would be that guy, would would make sense. Sixers won't want to do it, but again, as we've seen in the past, um, when a team or when a player – demands a trade the team loses a lot of leverage uh, ask the pace ask the blazers how that turns uh, yeah. you know how, how that goes so um we'll see a lot to uh, a lot to keep an eye on it is yeah i thought it was interesting in some ways it felt like him dipping his toe in, yes. in, in the not no you're not not saying oh i want to be out of here and he was dipping his toe right. just let people know hey there's a future out there that maybe doesn't include me winning a championship yep. in philadelphia which is very possible because how many players finish their career in one place so um but him, I think he understands the ramifications of him saying that. And they tried to walk the dive with all his trolling or whatever. Um, I don't think he was trolling. I think that he was being very real. I think he was thinking in his head, looking at the way the team is at, looking at Harden is where I can be out the door and that the Sixers perhaps will be taking a step back this year. That whether it's him demanding a trade or in a couple of years, you know, they've decided it's best to rebuild and try to trade him. Who knows? Like, you know, like a Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert thing. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. So. I think he, he's being real. He was being real there, and maybe he got a little too real, and that ended up causing all these headlines. But it definitely would be something to follow. By the way, Vegas already setting the Knicks as uh, the betting odds favorite to land Joel. Yeah, uh, if- and one other comment on that: just just this afternoon on ninety-seven point five FM, uh, Maury was on the the radio. Uh, said, "Quote: If we don't get either a very good player or something we can turn into a very good player, we're not going to do it." 
speaking on the potential yeah. James Harden deal. So, uh, as you expect, Maury is one to uh, keep his chips close to his vest and will play poker and will be, oh, remain yeah. there. You know, be the last one at the table. He's not gonna. He's very hesitant to uh, to give a player away, um, even if it seems like it's you know best to cut losses. Uh, he has shown in the past a unwillingness. Uh, to do that. And Harden has also shown an willingness to be a happy camper when he's not a happy camper. So yeah. uh, interesting there, interesting situation to keep an eye on out in Philly. Yeah, this is one of those, you know, kind of like two horns, two bulls kind of locking horns here in terms of what they're known for. Harden is an expert at getting himself out of the place. And Dow Moore is an expert of holding on to assets to get the absolute most for them. We saw that with uh, the Ben Simmons situation that brought James Harden there. Uh, he's a very aggressive, very uh, difficult trade partner to work with, much like Danny Ainge as the Knicks learned last season. So buckle up. That whole situation in Philly could be very interesting in a couple of weeks or a couple of months when training camp gets underway. But again, this is Orange Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, an Odyssey WFN original podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit that auto download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube. You can find the full episodes on the WFAN channel. So uh, let's begin with Evan Fournier. The Knicks guard opens up about his frustrations with the Knicks and his desire to be traded in an interview with a French sports newspaper. Fournier said he has no relationship with head coach Tom Thibodeau. He added, when he took me out of the five, started meaning the starting five, he just told me he was going to try something else. Then at the first match of a road trip, he announced to me that I was leaving the rotation. And ciao, which is <laughs> again not French, but uh, get the picture there. Uh, he said benching. He said the benching initially uh, made him spiteful uh, before shifting his focus uh, more in terms of like an off season of mindset to his you know training, his conditioning. He didn't work so much kind of his on his skill work as much as it was cardio and lifting and things like that. He had basically uh, said his season was over, um, and he said, "quote You want to spit on everyone. You hate. You have hatred." Derrick Rose and I looked at each other and said to each other, what the hell are we doing here? During the five-on-five practice, we were on the side like some prospects. Uncool times. So uh, he also finally questioned the Knicks' approach as well when it comes to his situation, since the Knicks are obviously um, definitely open for business when it comes to shopping Devin Fournier. He said, if you want to trade me with a good return, why didn't you use me? I was coming out of a season where I was the fourth-best three-point shooter in the league. Why not take advantage of it? Now they won't get anything interesting, and that's normal because I couldn't show anything on the court. So a lot coming from Evan Fournier on this random Tuesday as we record this podcast. Tommy, are Evan Fournier's uh, gripes about the Knicks fair in your eyes? Yeah, so let me start here. Um, The Knicks made the right decision by benching Evan Fournier. Tom Thibodeau made the right decision by benching Evan Fournier. Started the season with him as a starting shooting guard, maybe get, gave him the benefit that I'm hoping um, that the backcourt combination of Jalen Brunson and Fournier could work. Um, unsurprisingly, it did not. Um, defensively, uh, torn red. Nick started the season out slowly. Um, after starting the season, the starting lineup, Fournier got uh, went to the bench, played terribly on the bench, um, you know, somewhat understandably, uh, had a, it's a difficult transition. A guy that's been starting yeah. for the vast majority of his career, you know, coming in playing 12 minutes a night, 10 minutes, 16 minutes a night, um, and a shooter, um, never found his rhythm, never, never, you know, felt comfortable in that role, um, and contributed to the Knicks, uh, to Tibbs eventually demoting him uh, completely and him banishing him from the rotation altogether. 
Um, Knicks, who obviously with more Quinn Grimes, opened up more minutes for Grimes, a far, far superior defensive player, opened up more minutes for quickly, um, a more versatile offensive player, a better defender, um, opened up the floor for McBride a few minutes here and there. Um, not as good offensively, obviously, as Fournier, but a better defense player. And the results spoke for themselves. Nick uh, Nick posted one of the best records in the NBA over the final 60-plus games of the season um, and kind of the, was in the pudding. Uh, so the Knicks did what was best for them, the organization. Understandably, Evan Fournier wants what's best for him and his family. He wants to play. He wants to have his value. He's a proud athlete. You don't get to the NBA um, you know, from a small town in France without having incredible self-confidence and belief self that, uh, you know, you can shoot your way out of a slump, uh, that you're so good offensively that, uh, you know, you can be a, you know, even if you're adequate defense, you can help a team win. Um, he's, he's coming off a season in which he set the NBA franchise, the Knicks franchise record for most three-pointers. Um, was one of very few players in the NBA to attempt over four plus threes a game and shoot over forty percent from four. Um, so yes, is, is Evan Fournier's gripes, uh, you know, uh, fair? Absolutely. Was the Knicks' decision to bench him the right decision? In my opinion, yes, absolutely. And and, and the fact and the record would would kind of bear the, those facts out. Um, you know, yeah. this happens in professional sports uh, when play. You know, we're seeing it right now with how the Blazers try to handle the Davis situation. Obviously, Lillard's a Hall of Fame player, and you know, it's it's not the same. But you have at its core um, an organization that you know that sometimes interests are perfectly aligned. Dame wants to win now. He wants them to trade Stuart Henderson uh, for a player that's going to help him this season. The Blazers understand they don't win a championship by trading Stuart Henderson, and they're really up the creek without a battle with a, paying a 35 year old Dame Miller $60 million to be a nice the conference. Um, so, yeah, while it's you know some of the, the quotes. Um, are, are kind of obviously going to draw a lot of headlines. It's not surprising. Fournier said as much in his exit interview um, the last time we talked to the media at the, you know, toward, after the postseason run ended, yeah. saying he didn't expect to be back. Now it's a little more colorful anecdotes. Um, but the, the, the crux of, the, uh, of his feelings are unsurprising. Um, but uh, there's unfortunately there's nothing they can do about it. And the Knicks are paying him $18.9 million to kind of, you know, be a good, good soldier. Um, so we'll yeah. see how it plays yeah, I mean, look, from Evan's standpoint, as I saw someone say on Twitter, and it's true, I mean, he's trying to save his career. Like, I think yeah. it was actually um, Ben Rehill, so shout out to him. He's been on the podcast before. We got to get him on here soon. Um, like, this is his last-ditch effort, you know, and he kind of said it in this interview. He said, look, like, you can go one year in the league without getting a lot of playing time at my age, whatever, but two years and expecting to still have a long career left ahead of you, very unlikely, considering he has a contract coming up next year. He's right about that. You know, he's if he has another year where he's out of a rotation somewhere, he's probably looking at a, a veteran minimum contract on his next deal for one year and essentially, is, you know, go out there and show why you should still stay in the league. And he doesn't want to be in that position. So this is a lot of self-preservation here. So I get it from that standpoint. Um, I do think that we should actually hear from Tom Thibodeau because uh, he actually spoke about Evan Fournier's comments today. This is what he had to say. My actions don't require any defense. In the same situation, I do it again. That was Batman. That was not uh, Tom Thibodeau. But I'm sure that's what Tom Thibodeau would say if we ask Tom Thibodeau what he thinks about what Evan Fournier had to say on this. Now, I, here's what I'll say. Like you said, the Knicks made the right move to bench him. He was not playing well when he was playing. Uh, he was a terrible fit with their star player, uh, yep. Jalen Brunson. And the team saw the reap the, the, reap the benefits of that decision. Like, he went out of the rotation and the Knicks thrived. And 
I was one who thought he could have been a potential uh, good player off the bench, a six, seven man role, but he showed that he could not play in that role. He, he just, I, I felt mentally he just wasn't there. And you could tell when he was playing, he, it just, he, it wasn't right as soon as he got pulled out of the starting line. And, and when we talk about being a good pro, and he was a good pro when it came to not causing waves during the season at any point. But part of being a good pro is also being able to still play at a high level when they tell you, hey, we need you to move you to the bench. And he, to me, I think mentally couldn't handle that role. He couldn't handle not being in the starting line, which I don't know why. It's not like this is Carmelo Anthony we're talking about, who also had issues with not wanting to go to the bench. It's a Fournier guy who was a fringe starter to begin with. But him being unable to kind of fill that 20-minute role, that 15-minute role, made him unplayable. So uh, Tibbs did what he had to do. Uh, I think it's interesting that, you know, he talked about, you know, Tibbs really didn't say much to him. We kind of heard a similar thing from Kimball Walker uh, last, uh, or it's two now, two seasons ago when he was talking about his situation. He said, you know, coach really didn't say much to me. He just kind of said, all right, I'm out of the rotation. That was it. I don't know how much that, I mean, I mean, does he, does he owe it to the veteran to sit them down and have a more longer conversation with them? I guess, but I, I don't know if that really is going to say anything much to me about Tibbs that he didn't, have a more extensive conversation. I mean, Evan Fournier's numbers spoke for themselves. He didn't play well. And that was probably the only thing about these comments that I, I felt were missing. I, I wish there would have been some accountability from Evan to say, hey, I started that year really poorly this season. And I got beat out. Like, like at the end of the day, Quinn Bronze beat him out of that starting spot. And then he got beat out of the rotation by guys like Deuce McBride, guys who were out there and actually provided some Knicks needed. So I don't, I don't really buy a lot of what he was saying in that regard. But I, I understand and I can, I, can, I can have sympathy or empathy for the fact that he's trying to save his career. So this is what he has to say. Yeah, I mean, as far as uh, a defensive tips, I mean, listen, again, the guy made $18 million. Right. So it's, it's, hard, it's hard to feel too bad. They, you know, you get paid to show up and do your job. Sometimes he, uh, Fournier obviously assumed, you know, heading into the season, his job would be playing 32 minutes a night and right. taking 14 shots and seven threes a night. Um, that wasn't his job, as it turned out. His job was to cheer on Deuce McBride and mentor, you know, and kind of show um, Brunson the ropes about his adjusting to his first year in New York and, you know, taking the guys out to a restaurant, making the team better, practicing really hard. Um, I didn't love the comments he made about how we kind of went into off-season mode. Um, after he got pulled from rotation, basically saying got some shots up, but um, yeah, thank God know, we didn't need him because he would have been useless. He, 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 said he wasn't he wasn't really working out in the team. The, the game, the Philly game, which was the best game of the year, when he went crazy, he was like, yeah, I, I you know I usually skip the, the national anthem and I don't really do the pre pre game workouts. So I'm just like, what the hell? You don't do pre game yeah. warm ups. Like, right. I mean, that that's the thing. You get paid to show up and be ready, even though you right. very likely won't play. You're, you're, you're you know, the, the, you, you cash a check, a very, uh, you know, a decent sized check uh, right. to, yeah. to be ready. Should RJ, RJ Barrett show up, they listen, a stomach bug or uh, Jalen Brunson say, listen, uh, my ankle's not feeling great. Um, or, or same thing with Grimes, you know, you don't, or it twists his ankle in the, in the halfway through this quarter. Um, you know, you got, that's, that's his job to be ready. And, and Tibbs and the coaching staff watch who practices hard, um, right. who keeps themselves in shape, who prepares like a pro. Um, so if you, you know, obviously the situation didn't go as you had hoped from, you know, December through January, but if you keep working, maybe the Knicks go into a losing streak in February and you get, a chance to you know get thrown back in the mix if you're not preparing the right way. That's going to greatly reduce the chances you'll have an opportunity to prove yourself and and kind of resuscitate your career. It was interesting that he said that you know both him and Rose 
were kind of sitting on that bench wondering, you know, yeah. what the hell's going on here. So both guys feeling like, you know, they should have been playing. And, you know, they're older guys. Maybe they felt like, hey, you know, we got, you know, we, we kind of got a, a short leash here. Like, we should have got a lot longer of a leash. You know, you got to kind of get warmed up into the season. Maybe that was right. the case, but the Knicks season was falling down the toilet. Like, it had to be safe. I mean, we started this podcast essentially with the Knicks in the midst of a losing streak and wondering where the team's going to go after this season because it looked like it was going to end as another in another lottery appearance. And you talk about guys trying to save the career. Tibbs had to save his job. There was he was yes. on. The- <laughs> that <laughs> is true too. I forgot about that. You're right about that. Yeah, his job was teetering, and if he stuck with Fournier because he deserves to, because he's better, or whatever the case might be, he might be out of a job. Yeah, so there was some self-preservation from Tibbs there as well. So, yeah, I mean, look, Evan, again, I, I think for the most part, he's been a good guy. I don't look at these comments and say, oh, he's a bad guy. Because, again, like, a, you know, he's no. trying to save his job. And he's an athlete. Like, you know, any athlete who's been in a situation where you 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 feel like you should be playing and, and you're sitting on the bench and you got to try to still be a good teammate, it's hard. It's not easy. You know, we're going to hear talk about it a little bit in a second with QJ Peterson. It's, it's not easy at all. So I don't really hold anything against Evan. I just feel like. In some ways, again, there was really not much accountability with like his poor play, like the fact that like yeah, you made four, you know, the fourth best in three pointers last year, but like you were one of the worst defensive players in the league last year. And you think okay, maybe this year you come in focus more on defensive end. You came out and you were worse defensively this year, like, and then you didn't shoot the ball well. So now you're not shooting well and you're not playing defense. Like, what do you want them to do? Like, do you think you're entitled to playing time? Like, maybe he thought that with like. The contract he had signed, maybe he did. Like some guys in the league probably feel like you signed this kind of money after playing this amount of time. But look at a guy, Duncan Robinson. That's a guy that signed a hundred million dollar contract and was completely out of the Miami rotation for a whole year. Like it was a lost year for Duncan Robinson last year. Then this year he only got playing time because guys got hurt. But like he came back ready to play, ready to contribute. Wasn't as terrible defensively as he was prior to, to the, the previous season, which is why he got taken out of the rotation. Like he could have took that approach, but Fournier doesn't seem willing or didn't seem willing to do that. And it actually it brings me to one last thing. It does make me kind of like curious. Like we talked about like, you know, they're five on five, weren't even playing. Tibbs is a practice guy. So if he thinks you're not really giving it your all in form, so I, I feel like he's probably like, well, I'm not going to put you out there and practice and competing with guys I, I want to actually play. But then the second thing too, is we always complain about why like Rose and Fournier were above, like playing in garbage time because he would have quickly out there and topping out there guys who actually were playing and it seemed like a risk. I, I wonder if if maybe he didn't want to give these guys any time, considering maybe how unserious they were with their preparation. Yeah, I, I want to talk about Rose in a sec, you know, kind of the, his connection with Fournier. But um, for, on Fournier, though, I think it's important to know, and I and I brought this up, you know, time and again when we've talked about baseball at the end of the season. I do think there's a I don't want to say, yeah, I'll say a good chance, better than 51% chance that Fournier is on the Knicks opening roster. Yes, even after right. these comments. Um, because, again, he has an, he's going to make $18.2 million this, this, this upcoming 23-24 season. In the NBA, especially under the new CBA, having salary filler in a larger deal is, becomes important. Um, we've, as we've talked about, the return of the expiring, the valuable expiring contract looks like it's going to resurface uh, starting this season going forward. Um, so if and when Joel Embiid tweets out, I'm through, and, and not just in a yeah. trolling way, or, yeah. you know, as we talked about, any of the other stars, um, you know, the, the Giannis's, the Doncic, down the line, um, again, 
unlikely, but there's still a chance, especially, you know, you know, particularly with the Embiid scenario, you're going to need to match salaries when you're a hard capped team. Um, it's They theoretically could trade him to a team like the Spurs and create a traded player exception, which is essentially an expiring contract. Um, but now the Spurs have less than $15 million in cap space, so that's not uh, as likely as it once was. Um, again, there's a lot of ways to make the math work. By, by buying out Evan Forney doesn't mean you automatically clue from trading for a star. That's not the case. It just makes it easier and more likely if you have that um, 18, to $18 million in expiring contract that includes the trade and kind of match up the salaries. It just makes the math work. It makes the puzzle fit together. Um, so that's, yeah. one re- that's, that's one thing to know. Um, and so I, I think he could start the season. I think he could be a Nick right up until midnight of the trade deadline. Then at that point, if and when, uh, he doesn't get true. And or um, RJ Barrett doesn't have a season ending injury. Grimes doesn't, you know, miss three months right. or something. Anything yeah, yeah. can happen. All of a sudden, you know, hey, Tibbs, let me give you a hug. Okay. You know, pl- players have been a lot worse and been welcome back when the team needs them yeah, to play and, and, and a player wants to play to increase his fantasy value. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent 12 months from now. Um, so all that said, I, I, you know, I could, there's, there's definitely a, a path here where remember the next, whether he's actually with the team or he does the Jay Crowder thing where he sits at home and, and waits for a trade. And again, the, the Suns eventually flipped Crowder for second, second round picks. Um, uh, as far as the Rose thing, there's a reason, um, again, these guys are proud athletes. Rose is a four MVP. Um, yeah. you don't want, you know, those guys expect to play. They think they're above coming in at the last two seconds, you know, last two minutes of a game. And there's a reason they were an MVP because of that pride. And I forget who, what the quote was and who said it, but essentially the thinking is if you're a coach, you can have one bad play, one good player unhappy on your team. As long as there's just one, because if there's two, then they talk with each other and it kind of, it can cause a ripple effect. Hey, yeah, there you go. And that can spread, but if it's just one guy. Um, but uh, again, Rose hasn't said anything. He's not going to say anything. Now he signs a new deal. That's what I would suggest for you to um, Everybody knows he's unhappy. Um, it's, it's no surprise, um, but it's probably best not to say anything. Um, but, uh, you know, again, his, his, uh, his resentment is, is understandable. Yeah, we'll see what happens. My theory, I think Evan Fournier said this because he probably heard that he's probably going to be on the team this year. Yeah, probably heard that there's not a deal on the horizon, and now he's like, "Well, I got something to maybe get this uh, get this ball rolling." So let me uh, throw this little grenade in here and see what happens. But I don't think it will change much. You know, there is no deal out there for the Knicks that makes sense uh, right now. So he's going to be on the team, and we'll see how things shake. I think he'll end up being one of those guys that ends up being sent home, like I said last week. I think he'll be in a Jay Crowder situation this year, but. Evan Forney, nonetheless, uh, letting his voice be heard about how he feels about his situation with the Knicks. So, Summer League is now over for the Knicks as the team finished 2-3 and three following a win over the Celtics on Friday, where 2022 second-round pick Trevor Keels had his best performance as a Knicks, scoring 20 points on 7-10 shooting. Charlie Brown at 27 in that game. Uh, and then they had a close loss to the Nuggets on Saturday, despite overcoming a 17-point deficit. QJ Peterson was a star in that one. He had 25 points in the game. 28-year-old guard then went viral with his uh, journal, essentially a journal post he posted to Instagram about his time at Summer League. And it was very captivating. Obviously, I cannot read the whole thing here because it's very long, but I suggest everybody go out there and check it out if you just are interested in basketball or interested in uh, the, the mindset of an athlete. Like I think it's a really great read. Uh, but Peterson, you know, among other things, talked about how Tom Thibodeau uh, gave him personal advice following the end of the mini camp that he was invited to 
about what it took to make it to the NBA. Tip saying, I know you're a scorer, but I need you to focus on you know, being a defender, you know, being a guy who's going to play with effort, play with hustle, play with energy. Like that's what you're going to need if you're going to be a six point guard in the league. Um, he also was initially uh, told he probably wouldn't play much. He had to make the decision about whether or not he should actually join the team, knowing that he probably wouldn't play much. And then again, another interesting Tibbs story. Apparently Tibbs, you know, after the second game, the Knicks lost, told Dice in front of the team, hey, you guys are playing some of these older guys because, you know, we got to try to win some games too here. It's not all about development. So we learned a lot, a little bit about Tibbs in this story he said, uh, and QJ uh, talking about himself saying that, he had essentially transitioned his game, a guy who's a, a big-time scorer playing in college at VMI, uh, playing overseas in various different leagues, uh, changed himself from a scorer to more of an energy effort guy. And this is how he finished the post, or one of the last paragraphs. I'll read this part. He said, I turned a lot of eyes with different NBA teams at some league solely off my energy and effort and affecting the game in a positive way by just playing hard, showing your attitude, and being a great team, being a teammate and leader. Uh, he asked, no matter where you come from, no matter your height, whether you're a five-star athlete or a no-star athlete, always better yourself. Always be ready, so don't, so you don't have to get ready. And be a great teammate in person. Do all the little things because the little things matter. Find your why that makes you bigger than yourself to help you keep going when things get tough. So, very inspirational words there from QJ Peterson. Before we get to like uh, this final thoughts on the summer league, what did you think of uh, QJ story? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, just the way we set up the rundown, you know, unintentionally, there's obviously there's a, a big contrast between QJ Peterson's comments and Fournier's comments. Yeah. Um, but part of that is, again, being a six foot undersized, uh, you know, shooting guard, um, like Lil Wayne said, either be good or be good at it. Um, and, and Fournier you know. was was good for, for a long time. Um, and it, it's difficult to kind of adjust your expectations. Whereas a guy like Duncan Robinson, a division played division three, you know, not recruited high school. And it's, it's easier to kind of accept uh, the, the get benched and demoted. Whereas Fournier was a, you know, viewed himself as first a all-star pick. level yeah. player, first round pick, um, you know, star of his national team, the team that featured Bay and, and uh, a lot of other, you know, really, really talented players. Um, so it, it's difficult to, to kind of make that adjustment. Um, but as far as the, the, the QJ Peterson, yes, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Read the full, um, uh, the, the full. You'll Google his name; it'll be out there. It's out there. Um, I wrote about it on in my newsletter on Monday, and I, I pasted the, the full text. Um, but uh, yeah, because the reason I found it so interesting, it was kind of um, we rarely get kind of the be a peek behind the curtain, um, get to see kind of how the sausage is made in terms of. Um, you know, the, these these uh, these guys on the fringes of NBA rosters. Yeah. And I mean, that's why the Hard Knocks is, has been such a big hit. You know, it'll be interesting, obviously, with the Jets and Aaron Rodgers. And the big story is always, you know, when the, um, you know, when it's the Jets, the, the, the highlight is, you know, what will Aaron Rodgers say? Or, you know, when it's the uh, the, the Cowboys, it's you know, Dak Prescott. When my Lions were on last year, it's like what happens with Adrian Hutchinson. When it's actually Malcolm Rodriguez, a linebacker they drafted in the fifth round, that kind of was the the, the storyline that, that, drew, that drew people in. It's that guy that's the 53rd man on the roster, um, whereas if he, get, if he makes the team, He's a millionaire uh, and, and and his friends and family and everyone's proud of him and he has tickets to the game. And if he's the last guy on the outside of that, that practice squad looking in, he has to work at a gas station for a couple of weeks and train. You no, know, those are the type of things, you know, it's like um, and that's what sports is, is so beautiful about, you know, Chi Chi Rodriguez has a quote, um, a, a putt to win the Masters isn't pressure. 
a $50 pot and have $5 in your, po- in your pocket at your local country club. That's pressure. You know, it's, th- it's that type of thing. Um, and that's why those stories are compelling. And Peterson kind of gave us a glimpse into what life is like. Again, he, even if he you know, likely is not going to get signed by the Knicks, maybe he gets a contract to, to come compete in camp. Um, but he, he's a dude that averaged 27, 6, and 3 um, in, in the CBA last year and, and, and made pretty decent yep. bank. Um, but again, obviously the goal of these guys is to make it to the NBA um, because no matter how good you are in the CBA, um, the folks you went to high school with and all the girls you want to impress um, that you went to VMI, VMI with are not going to see you um, on national TV unless you make it to the big leagues. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the you know that was I think the part of it that that's, that struck out to me. I agree was kind of the inside baseball, so to speak, in terms of just like we know the first mm-hmm. round picks who are on these summer league teams. We know even the second year guys who are on the team. But these are twelve man rosters, like. Who the hell are some of these other guys? Now, I love college basketball, so, like, I kind of know a lot of these guys, but, like, I haven't seen them in years, you know. Some of these guys maybe were in the NBA for a couple of years and then haven't been away. So kind of figuring, like, QJ Peterson's situation, like, I didn't know he was this good over in the CBA. Uh, and that the Knicks had told him, hey, like, we know you can make a lot of money, like, you know, playing overseas. You can make six, you know, six figures playing overseas, maybe a million dollars. Like, if you don't want to do this, like, we understand. And, like, the fact that NBA teams have to, like, juxtapose that when putting guys on their roster. Like, is it even worth going after some of these guys who maybe have talent to fill just to fill out a summer league roster knowing that they have much more lucrative options elsewhere? Um, the, but I think what we've seen it is QJ's attitude, which is, you know, he's a positive guy, a guy who wasn't going to allow, uh, you know, the circumstances of perhaps not getting enough time and not being able to showcase his talents the way he thought, not let that get – in his head or not let that uh, make him become a bad teammate. In fact, it's probably the reason why he actually started getting playing time because, you know, apparently Tibbs really liked seeing how he was working hard in practice during defensive slide drills. Like, it, it, you know, it's very much, it almost felt like I was like what, re- reading the script for hustle, you know, but the yeah. American version, like this is, this is really what it felt like. So um, I was really happy QJ Peterson put this out there. I wonder how that Knicks feel about him putting this out there. This was like very, very like, detailed like you know like Knicks are very close to the vest kind of group yes. so I kind of wonder how, the, how they feel about about this I was wondering that as well I mean ideally especially of all teams the Knicks don't want anything inside the, the locker room to leak um in any way shape or form they are the tightest close to the best team you can, you can possibly imagine other teams are willing yeah, and maybe, happy to besides the Patriots maybe they're the most in sports yep Yep, absolutely. Um, and it starts from the top down. Dolan has a policy which um, is very, uh, uh, you know, confrontational with the media um, and almost searching out ways to annoy and, and, and bother and make it difficult for the media to do their job. And listen, that's right. And what we can argue when we've talked about, does it benefit the team? No. Does it really hurt the team? Probably not. But it couldn't hurt right. to be a little more media savvy. Um you know, Bill Belichick, uh, you know, was celebrated for, you know, kind of, you know, his, his, the, the way he's handled things for, um, you know, for, for the better part of two decades. Now he does have uh, Tom Brady. Things are a little bit different. Um, yeah, it was all good when now. he could tell. 
when he could tell stars to, to go scratch if they didn't want to play exactly like it is. Um, now he has Mac Jones, and did that you know did his did that attitude cost them DeAndre Hopkins? And how, you know how does how does these final few years how will reflect on Bill Belichick's career as a whole? Probably not all that much because his you know his legacy is cemented. Um, but all that being said, that that's kind of part of a lot of the conversation. But I thought of that as well, like. In my mind, did this this probably made it actually made it less likely he would make an NBA team, for fear of even the slightest bit of him should things go sideways if he's the 15th man and then they cut him. You know, does he bash the organization or just not even right. bash, but just be blunt about you know just brutally honest about his yeah. experiences? Um, teams do not want you to be honest. Um, right. you know, they want yeah. they, they, they train guys to lie to the media. <laughs> literally, literally to control the narrative. Uh, there's there's classes that they force these guys to take. There you um, go. So, you know, but uh, again, you know, I, I, for for a guy like uh, Peterson, probably didn't have that much to lose um, and, and luckily benefited from it. Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm happy he did it. I get the feeling that he probably knew he didn't have much to lose. So he's like, why not do this? And, and now he's become, you know, uh, a name that people now will recognize. They'll remember yeah. for a little bit, you know, like nobody's going to forget. Yeah. People who read this story, they'll remember that guy. Oh, yeah, right, that, that Nick Summer League player. So he probably did himself favors. Who knows with, like, yeah. you know, content creation that's happening, how much, you know, that maybe he could benefit from starting doing this thing. Uh, I kind of now would love to see him, like, do a blog or whatever on, like, his, like, time in the CPA. Like, what is that like? I don't know what it's like playing in the Chinese Basketball Association. Maybe he yep. could fill us in. Like, you know, he's one of the best, best players over there, so that would be interesting. Any final thoughts uh, on, on the Nick Summer League? As a as as a whole, again, we got to see uh, Kills play a little better as it went on. We, you know, Charlie Brown continued to impress throughout. Any final thoughts as summer league wraps for the Knicks? Yeah, so uh, on the positive note, um, I, I thought Brown was obviously the, really impressive. Um, you know, finished uh, summer league, played in four games out the fifth contest, averaged nineteen point eight points, six point three boards. 2.33s, almost two blocks and two steals a game. Shot almost 50% floor, over 37% from downtown, 80% from the free throw line. Um, I was looking at the numbers earlier this week. Um, there were only two players in Vegas to average more than 19 points, more than six rebounds, and more than two threes per game. It was Charlie Brown and Jabari Smith. Um, so I, I thought there's no worthy. Um, as we've discussed, the Knicks have 14 players under contract currently which is one short of the 15-player maximum. So I wouldn't be shocked if Charlie Brown earns his way on to the roster as kind of that 15th spot. Uh, obviously, the power forward, backup power forward spot is kind of the position of need in terms of who the Knicks are going to bring in. But I wouldn't be shocked to see, you know, in a pinch if Brown could play some some four. Um, you know, we know that Obi Toppin basically stood in the corner um, and, and shot threes yeah. and was used as a cutter. Um, defensively, Brown is a 6 6 wing, so he might have a tough time guarding power forward. But but Obi wasn't a good defender either. Um, so you know we'll see how it we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, that was the positive. Isaiah Roby kind of probably falls somewhere in the middle. Important to note, he was only two weeks removed from being cleared from a, a, a significant ankle injury. Didn't look great. Didn't didn't improve his chances of you know he probably w- would have obviously would have preferred to play better and kind of make a case. Uh, as the guy that enters camp as the odds-on favorite to be the the, yeah. the primary backup behind Randall, I don't think that's the case right now. But again, he'll have plenty of time in training camp, preseason games to kind of make his case. Um, Jalen Martin, the teenager they drafted out of uh, overtime elite, showed some flashes, showed his rawness. Um, uh, you know, overall played well. I think the Knicks are happy 
Um, obviously a name we'll keep an eye on um, and keep you guys updated. You know, we'll check in periodically during the G League season, see how he's playing. Um, and then probably the guy most people were interested in, kind of the most eyeballs on, Trevor Keels. Really no other way to put it other than, you know, as on a whole, played well in this game, but a whole disappointing. Um, yes. You know, remarkably inefficient. The Knicks experimented playing him at a point guard the first few games. That obviously didn't work. They shut him off the ball. Looked a little, obviously looked a little more comfortable, but, um, you know, finished up his time in Vegas, averaging, you know, basically 10-3-3, and um, 42% from the floor, 33% from downtown, um, you know, 40% from, from the free throw line. Didn't impress, didn't show that that pop um, is a bit of a tweener, doesn't fit in um, at either position. Um, really, the, the unfortunate take is it prop, the Knicks will probably cut ties with Kia sooner rather than later. Might they you know, keep him on a two-way contract this season? I suppose. But I wouldn't be shocked if they go in a different direction. Um, you know, we mentioned the QJ Petersons and, and the guy, the other so many talented players on this planet, guys in the CBA or the Spanish ACB, yeah. putting up big numbers against great competition. Um, that the, the competition for even those two-way spots are is getting more and more intense. Um, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, on Keels real quickly, I just it makes me wonder with him, like one of these players are gonna start reevaluating, you know, whether one and done makes sense for them. Like, like there's so many there's such an influx of draftees every year now that are one year guys, guys that did college in one year. And you know, I, I sit there and I wonder like maybe these guys would have benefited playing another year or two in college. And I know sometimes there's a financial situation that's tied to why they want to go play pro, whether they get drafted or not. Sometimes that's going to start an impressive career in Europe or wherever it's going to be. But with the NIL, and of course, Keel played at Duke, so he could have, he could have, you know, cashed in a bunch, a bunch on NIL, NIL. Like, he just looks like a guy, I mean, that needed more time. Like, he was not this guy who was this top 10, top five recruit coming out of high school. He was a top 40 guy. Like, he kind of surprised in terms of how well he adapted to college basketball quickly and how he was able to make an impact but uh i think he might have been better suited playing more years at duke and, and maybe he would have been a much more ready player in the nba like i feel like kills entering the nba this year and okay he's having these struggles you can live with it but no he's a year two player but he's 20 years old like i don't know how if you're the knicks you can't wait forever for this guy to turn around but who's to say he can't eventually turn around but when you're a second round pick the clock is ticking almost as soon as you get on the onto a team, you got like a two or three year deal for a lot of these guys. So, uh, with the Keels thing, I, I just wonder if these guys are going to start thinking about maybe doing more time in college. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out. Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I would just push back by saying that Heels actually make the right decision by coming out early because he might have been exposed had he stuck around for another you know, like yeah, uh, two -way, he got drafted in the second round. A two-way contract pays you uh, just right over 500K based on uh, for the season, based on how games you play for the NBA club. Um, you know, I'm sure he could have made some money for, for a, uh, um, uh, an NIL money had he starred for Duke, sophomore, junior. Um, but chances are he wouldn't have made that half a million, um, you know, coming out of the league. I don't know if he would have made it up. Um, you know, but he also took the chance not 
drafted, then you're in trouble. Um, then you can play overseas. So, you know, it's interesting. It's And the NIL thing makes it a little bit more complicated. But, um, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's 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 uh, definitely an interesting thing to look at. But uh, Knicks finished two and three again. I think you know Brown and and, and uh, Dequan Jeffries who only played one game. I think those guys will have real shots at that uh, that final spot, and we'll see you know if the Knicks end up adding anybody else uh, for that. Well, well, final. actually, the, the fourteen include Daquan Jeffries and Isaiah Rowe. Oh, Jeff Jeffries um, there, right? Yeah, right. yeah oh, they're yeah. partially guaranteed, but yeah. Yeah, so Brown, so 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 Brown right now you would think probably has the inside track on that uh, 15 spot, but I guess we'll end up seeing. So we'll, yep. we'll end here with uh, it feeling like 2021 all over again because we're once again talking about uh, Trey Young and the Knicks. So Draymond Green uh, sat down with Trey Young for his live podcast. We are part of the conversation, delved into Trey's relationship with the Knicks fans and Trey's maybe in Draymond Green's eyes, his unfair label as a villain. Here's what the Warriors forward said on the Draymond Green show about uh, Trey Young and his situation with Knicks. And the reality is, I feel like where that all was birthed really was the series versus the Knicks, where everybody in New York Knicks fans are delusional <laughs> <laughs> and and miserable. And I love New York, so don't ban me from your city. <laughs> but. They're hard. They're, they're a hard fan yeah. base. You go in the garden, you hitting the shots, you bowing every timely shot you need to make. You make you making every play. And what I actually think now, and continuing to watch and continuing to pay attention to it, is you are very much so a showman. So he says, you know, Trey is a showman, uh, but then he that got flipped in him being a villain, and he thought that that was unfair. So here's Trey's response in terms of like how he felt about that whole villain mold that he kind of got his opinion, I guess, thrusted into. Into that, like I just, I kind of feed off the crowd. Like if you were listening to the game in the ten minutes left in the first quarter of game one, the whole arena was yelling "F Trey Young." So it's like, what do you want me to do? Like I'm just hooping, I'm playing. I ain't said nothing to the crowd. I ain't bowed. I ain't say as quiet as effing here. I ain't said none of that yet. Like I just really played off of played off of how they 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 I mean they guarded me and the, and how the fans reacted. Like I just I come out playing trying to win, trying to put on a show and I mean if the fans want to get into it like in the with the Boston thing. Like they started Yeah, so that was uh Trey talking about the whole big situation in the Knicks and they end up continuing the conversation talking about the Boston Celtics. Draymond's issues with the fans with them, and he played the Celtics this past year. So on the Draymond front, you know, Knicks fans are effing delusional and miserable. Uh, do you think Draymond was right about his characterization of Knicks fans? Yeah, they're fans. That's what they're supposed to be. <laughs> that's, that's what the term fanatic, you know, I don't you know. see he's insulting the fans because they root for their team and they root against the guys they're playing, you know, like. I know. I, you know, I, I never put too much credence into what Draymond says. I, you know, he's looking to generate, you know, he's hoping this clip goes viral. And he's, you know, I hope Nick fans don't get mad at me when he is praying Nick fans get mad of, mad at him and tweet at him and bring up his name and, you know, that that, that he can somehow parlay that uh, additional, you know, uh, interest into views on his podcast or whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, listen, uh, you know, are, are, you know, are Nick fans miserable? Yeah, we, you know, Nick fans haven't won a title in 50 yeah. years. 
That if they they wouldn't be real fans if they were happy because their team has gone past the first round of the playoffs once, uh, you know, twice uh, this millennium. Um, <laughs> they, they they wouldn't be paying attention and or they wouldn't be true fans if they were content and happy and you know happy go lucky and uh, who cares if our team wins? We're just happy to be here. You know that's no that's not that's that's not the description of of of, of a New Yorker. It's not a description of a New York fan. It's not a description of a Nick fan. So. Um, I wasn't sure exactly what how that was to be perceived as an insult, um, you know, that they're very uh, invested in their team. Somehow that's bad, I guess. Yeah, Draymond, you know, again, like I said on Twitter, he opens his mouth about stuff that he does nothing about quite often. Yes. I think this is something uh, right along those lines. I mean, but again, this is a franchise that hasn't won championships since the 70s. Um, this is a team that has not been to the finals since 99. Very little playoff success in the new millennium, like, Again, do you expect them to be a happy fan base? I don't know. Like, were the Sacramento Kings? Maybe the Sacramento Kings were, were happy not making the playoffs over the years. Maybe that's at least comparing them to. I don't know. But I didn't quite understand that. Um, and the delusional side, like, I don't know. I just think that to me, like, what I hate about the conversation about Knicks fans that usually don't aren't around Knicks fans or not including Knicks fans are the the caricature that has become of the Knicks fan because of select individuals who have been able to monetize being miserable and being a sad sack fan and monetize being an analyst who can go out there and talk about how miserable they are, even though they're not really fans of the team. Like what they've learned is that there is actual value, monetary value in being associated with being with the Knicks and being associated with being a Knicks fan. And, They've taken real misery and real frustration with the fans and have turned that into ways to market themselves. And what we end up seeing is just the worst kind of caricature of Knicks fans when, in fact, Knicks fans are maybe the most knowledgeable of, of the NBA, of the most fan bases. A lot of stuff we talk about delusion, a lot of it is reporters saying things are going to happen that then don't happen. That's not the fans' fault. Like they're just reading what reports are saying. They're not saying a fan didn't come up with a theory that Kevin Durant was going to join the Knicks. It was <laughs> reporters saying that Kevin Durant was going to join the Knicks. That doesn't make the fans delusional, you know. But because nobody cares about the details, those little things get thrown aside. And it's just like, oh, look at these Knicks fans out there they're talking crazy. That's how they are. It's like, no, that's not really the case. Like if you're just looking at the select few on Insta, Twitter who want to send RJ to the G League or want to tear down Julius you know, yeah. Randall's picture, you think, oh, this is everybody. And it's not even close. It's not even close. Yeah. I, I, and what, <laughs> on one end of the spectrum, you, you it can't be delusional. It's hard to be delusional and miserable at the same time because if you're delusional, yeah. <laughs> you you're know, that hopeful. means you're going to. Exactly. That means right. you know you're, we're gonna we're gonna get Joel Embiid and Luka Doncic and Giannis, and that'll be our starting five. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, and then, but then you also can't be you know. Yes, I agree. Every face, if you you pick and choose, you bring up a comment from some idiot who wants to you know who says R.J. Barrett's the worst player ever, and then you could bring up a, a comment that says. R.J. Barrett is better than Jordan four years into his career, so just give him time. You know, like, the truth is it lies somewhere in the middle, and that's, you know, the kind of the beauty and the curse of social media. It, 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 you, right. it allows folks to, to kind of, you know, um, as you mentioned, especially individuals um, that play into the and, and, and the and the characters, um, they can pick and want. Um, but I, I think for the most part, um, you know, the Knicks fan base, as you know, is is, is relatively knowledgeable. Um, and, and it's often the, 
the, the, again, you know, I forget what the percentage is, but like, you know, of all Twitter comments, like 85% are made by 3% of all Twitter users, you know, and that's yeah. just kind of, a, you know, an analogy for, for the fandom as, as a whole. You can't base, you know, what especially certain, you know, high profile Nick and say, and, you know, a lot of that, you know, and that is broadcast out into the mainstream media as the opinion of the Nick fan when that's, that's probably as far from accurate as possible. And to me, I think part of the reason why these players and Draymond Green can't relate to Knicks fans, it's a little weird because he plays for a passionate fan base. But so many of these guys, like I was, you know, I literally, and we'll talk about trade in just a second, but I was watching the Reggie Miller versus the Knicks documentary yesterday. I'm reading Blood in the Garden while I'm here on vacation. Like, there was a, there was a, like a, a, there was a, like, symbiotic relationship with, like, the passion of the players who played for their teams and the fans in those cities. That doesn't exist anymore. These guys look at it as just a job. It's just a check. So they look at the fans as in delusional, miserable, whatever, and they don't understand the fanatic aspect because they don't have that same, you know, blood and loyalty and, 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 you know, connection with these franchises in these cities. And maybe they shouldn't have to. Like, again, like, you know, we've talked a bunch about players can get cut and traded and there's no loyalty. Like, I'm not saying that they have to, but I think their lack of understanding is it if it's because they don't have that relationship anymore with these franchises. And staying on Trey Young real quick, I, I was just watching this, you know, Reggie Mill versus the Knicks documentary, not expecting Trey Young to talk about this thing again. But, like, it was crazy watching that. And I'm sitting there with my girlfriend and, like, I'm telling her, like, this is, like, you know, this is what it was like in the 90s. And then, you know, you, you know about Trey Young, like, this is who they compared Trey Young to. And she's like, oh, no, this is way worse. This is different. This is like, even she could see how different that rivalry and that hatred was and the kind of villain Reggie Miller was and then who Trey Young is. And I just am tired of Trey Young. And I guess he was asked a question, so he had to talk about it. But I'm just tired of talking about Trey Young and one playoff series where he outplayed Alfred Payton and Frank Nilakina and Reggie Bullock. Like, Enough. Like I just watched a series where Reggie Miller's going against Patrick Ewing, John Starks. He's going against tough guys, guys who are longtime veterans, all-stars. And we're putting Trey on the pedestal of Reggie. And he, the best guy he played against was Reggie Bullock. That's who was guarding him for the majority of this series. And we're saying that this is equal. Like, enough of Trey Young and the Knicks. And I'm, I'm sorry about Trey Young and this sad sack answer of, oh, you know, I didn't ask for this. But, okay, but then you show up at Mass Square Garden on WWE SmackDown to be the, the, the villain on the wrestling show. You made money that way. Uh, you, you, you're selling, you're putting your sneakers out. You're wearing your sneakers with the King of New York or King of Broadway. That was that corny sign, line, line you had on your sneakers. You, you, to, to promote your sneakers, you're wearing your King of New York sneakers on your game in New York. Like, you can't have both ways. Like, these guys cry so much, but then want to have and reap all the benefits of playing into that same role. Like, Trey, just say, oh, yeah, you know, it happened. It is what it is. I got love for New York. And that's it. Why does that have to be this whole, I didn't ask for this. I don't know why people hate me. It's just like, enough, dude, enough. You beat Reggie Bullock. You beat yes, Frank Lillikina. Yeah. Come on. Also, you, to be a villain and to, to, to kind of be on that plateau, you know, on, the, on that era of guys, and have a little more success. Uh, last two years, Trey Young has been not good in the playoffs. Lost in the first round both years. Um, at, you know, shot under 32% in, in 2022, shot 40% um, in, in uh, 2023. Um, last two years combined, um, what are his percentages here? 
Um, in the 11 games he's played, 37% field goal percentage, 27% three. So score and a shooter. Um, be more efficient. Lead your team to victories. Um, that's the way to uh, kind of earn the respect and the ire because you can have it as a badge of honor. Um, but a lot of Knicks fans aren't thinking about Trey Young now. They're thinking about Jalen Brunson oh. or Jimmy Butler or teams that are competing against. Get in the postseason, the actual playoffs, win around, and then we can, you know, get into that. Hopefully, hopefully they play each other. They're the four and the five seed. And yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. If it, if it becomes that kind of rivalry, great. And then embrace it. Like, Reggie, I'm watching yes. clips of Reggie Miller talking about yes. Charles Smith being like, that's the smartest thing Charles Smith's ever said. And talking about yep. John Starks being like, I don't know why John Starks so mad. I didn't say much to him. Like, I saw Reggie Miller embrace that role but like again it's like this 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 era athlete is so different like they don't want any of the smoke but they want all the adulation and all the attention and it's so frustrating and it's so annoying and and i just feel like it's crazy that like again trey young beating reggie bullock has then become this like it's not something we should be talking about for three years like in the moment was it great yes was it, it was fun great whatever like three years later like he didn't beat a championship team like the Knicks team that's there now is like totally different than that team we still moved on from that era and yet somehow Trey Young's still stuck in 2021 like I don't understand it and I don't know why people keep having to talk about it because Knicks fans aren't it's, it's always someone else bringing up Trey Young and the Knicks oh we'll see what this is like uh, no one cares by the way Knicks have basically mauled the Hawks every time they played them since that series so that's another important and, thing to note as well if we're talking about and, actually building a robbery and the Knicks have a better point guard for what it's worth and that too. And that's a great place to leave it. Thank you guys for listening to Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, and Odyssey WFA and Original, a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. And also be sure to check us out on YouTube or where you can find us on the WFA channel. You can watch our full episodes there. Tommy, let people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter and subscribe to that song. Absolutely, and follow me, EJ underscore Stu on Twitter, Action EJ on Threads, Instagram, and TikTok. Thank you guys again so much for checking us out. Tommy, I'm EJ. Thank you guys. Peace.